This is a Federal News Network podcast. This agency has given out more than a billion dollars in grant money under the CARES Act Congress passed last year, and it gets another $3 billion under the American Rescue Plan. If you're thinking Small Business Administration, think again. It's actually the Economic Development Administration. Tom Temin talked about pandemic relief with the Deputy Assistant Commerce Secretary for Economic Development and the Chief Operating Officer of the EDA, Dennis Alford. The statute, the CARES Act when it was passed and the specific authorities granted to EDA, directed us to use our most flexible grant program, a program called the Economic Adjustment Assistance Program, to prevent, prepare for, and respond to the coronavirus and the economic impacts of the pandemic. And that flexible grant authority allows us to do a wide variety of different activities to assist communities with economic development and and recovery from the economic impacts of the pandemic, including things like planning and technical assistance, revolving loan funds, and infrastructure development. And did the money mostly go to state and local governments? Or did it go to other types of organizations? Eligible applicants for EDA assistance do include state and local governments, also institutions of higher education, nonprofit organizations, and others. Really, the only two categories that we don't fund are individuals and private for-profit corporations. So basically, everything the SBA does not cover is covered by the Economic Development Administration. Yeah, that's largely true, I think. And these were grants? Were they loans? What were the mechanisms under which the money was distributed? We are a grant-making organization, so we make grants to those different types of eligible entities. Although we do have vehicles in which we can, for example, make a grant to an organization that would then establish a fund that could provide loans to other types of organizations, but our direct relationship is a grant-making relationship with eligible EDA applicants. And in general, what were the criteria by which you would award a grant? Was there some process and some kind of competitive part of it, or did they have to demonstrate needs in some other way? You know, in the case of the CARES Act and the pandemic, because of the unusual and compelling urgency of the economic situation and the economic dislocations that were occurring, EDA took a slightly different approach than our traditional grant-making approach. Generally, we have a competitive grant-making process in which we solicit and review applications competitively. But in this case, we decided that it was really in the public interest for us to use a portion of those funds and get them out and working very, very quickly to respond to the sudden and severe economic impacts that had occurred. So we made a series of non-competitive awards, you know, utilizing our network of existing high-performing EDA grant recipients. So we made awards to economic development districts, to university centers, and to tribal planning organizations to really help support capacity building so that they could develop plans and strategies for economic recovery within the geographic areas that they covered. We also made non-competitive awards to a network of revolving loan fund operators around the country, and those investments were intended to be responsive to the capital access needs that were occurring. So that included roughly 
half of our portfolio of assistance. And then we did engage in a couple different types of competitive grant making where we went out and based on levels of economic distress, based on the types of proposals that were going to be most impactful in helping areas to recover and bounce back from the pandemic, we made a variety of different types of competitive awards. We're speaking with Dennis Alvord. He's Deputy Assistant Commerce Secretary for Economic Development and the Chief Operating Officer of the Economic Development Administration, one of the Commerce Department's bureaus. And what kinds of mechanisms do you have in place now to make sure that the grants worked in the way that you expected them to work? Well, one of the things that I think EDA is known for is being a very customer-focused and customer-centric agency. And, And we work very closely with our grantee partners, both in terms of the grant award process and kind of guiding them through the process. But then after the awards are made, we continue to work with them closely to provide technical assistance and oversee the implementation of those awards. So we're continuing to engage in that process on a regular basis. We we try to share best practices about things that we're hearing that are occurring across the economic development landscape that are replicable and can be used by other communities to support their endeavors. We continue to consult with our grantee community about other resources that may be available through other federal partners that they could take advantage of you know, to continue with the implementation of their economic development strategies and address specific needs within their communities. And we try to leverage other grantee organizations as well, such as our university center applicants and our national technical assistance applicants, so that they can bring their expertise to bear and support our grantees in in helping them with economic development challenges they're confronting. And do you have signals coming back that these grants have worked in various locales to bolster economic development and economic vitality? We do. You know, I think our strategy of trying to be immediately responsive and provide both some upfront capacity for planning for long-term recovery as well as providing access to capital. You may recall at the onset of the pandemic, one of the most significant needs expressed by business were you know, capital liquidity needs. And the fact that we were able to put those dollars out and get them working very, very quickly we're hearing has helped a number of businesses to stay open and has helped a number of businesses to retain their workforce during this year-long pandemic to date. So that's kind of an indirect benefit since the grants didn't go directly to profit-making businesses, but it was offset by one organization, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, we made a grant to one of our revolving loan fund operators, and that increased the amount of capital that that operator then had available to lend to businesses. And, you know, they were able to use that to meet working capital needs and business expansion needs, uh, even during this pandemic period. So it really was very transformative and I think complemented some of the other types of federal assistance. Uh, You know, you mentioned the SBA earlier, you know, such as their Paycheck Protection Program and EIDL loans. And I imagine if a profit-making organization somewhere locally was able to get a loan from an EDA grantee, that might put them in a better position to get a revolving loan or some other kind of assistance from the commercial banking sector. Yeah, I think our hope would be that we have filled like a critical gap, you know, at, at a critical point in time when 
they were having trouble doing exactly that. There was a dearth of funding available through the traditional commercial banking sector. We were able to step in with some products and fill that gap. And hopefully, you know, as we bounce back and come out of the pandemic, they will be in a strong position to be able to go back to those commercial lenders and leverage their financial position to get additional assistance and continue their growth and expansion in the future. So you prime the pump mainly. Exactly. And how does that billion dollars over the past year compare to what the EDA would normally grant in a given year? And if it's much more, how were you able to staff up to get this type of work done in the time you got it done in? Well, that was a huge challenge indeed. You know, our our regular program budget uh, last fiscal year was $333 million. So the $1.5 billion CARES Act supplemental was, what, four five times uh, that amount. So we unquestionably had to increase our staffing to successfully deploy these resources. Fortunately, Congress granted EDA a special hiring authority under the Act, which allowed us to directly hire temporary employees to support rapid implementation of the funds. And to date, we've added, I believe, about 80 employees across the EDA enterprise, and we have a headquarters office and six regional offices that do this work, and we have a few more underway. So this hiring alone has grown the organization by about one-third uh, in size during that time frame, and so this was another big challenge. And remember, this entire process had to occur virtually, the hiring, the onboarding, the training, uh, you know, due to the, due to the pandemic. And you've got another $3 billion under the American Rescue Plan, which means you're going to need that staff for quite a while, I would think. We will. I expect, you know, our, our workload continues to grow significantly under the American Rescue Plan, and, and we'll likely have to do some additional staffing up to support the implementation of that as well. Dennis Alvert is Deputy Assistant Commerce Secretary for Economic Development and the Chief Operating Officer of the EDA. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So. What we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees, 
Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.